Would you stand? We're going to move to the book of Philippians now. We're going verse by verse through the book. If you're physically able to stand, would you locate Philippians chapter 2? We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16 today. And the message is working out what God is working in you or in us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Let me find it myself, and we will read it together. As we're preparing our hearts, let's pray one more time. Father, we're so grateful for your living word, so grateful for the power that it has. This is a very practical text, a very challenging text. It's one that we desperately need to hear in our country, around the world. We see a lot of people who are uh, walking away, falling away, Lord, um, we might have a situation in our own lives right now where, you know, we feel like we're kind of holding on by a thread, and we need to hear these words, Lord. And we're so grateful that you're working in us, and I pray that our hearts would just be soft to what the Spirit would say to your church in this hour. We lay this time at your feet in Jesus' holy name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Philippians 2.12 reads this way, so then... My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. You may be seated. Working out what God is working in you is the title and you'll notice in verse 12 that we have the words, so then, in the New American Standard, every other modern translation says, therefore. Now, the therefore is always a connecting word in a text. So when you study your Bible and you see the word therefore, you look back. You see, well, what is the connection? And the connection is namely verses 5 through 11. A portion of that text is called the Carmen Christi. It was an ancient hymn that existed in the early church and it was a hymn to Christ as to God. And the hymn, uh, the beginning of, of the verses I just mentioned to you says this word. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We called it the attitude of Christ. And then it says, who although he existed in very nature God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, made himself of no reputation. It goes on to say that he died, not, not just that he died, but he died the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. You guys remember the verses. And given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether it's under the earth, on the earth, in heaven, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the structure of the text, it's a bit unusual. It moves from duty. It tells you what we should be doing. We should have the attitude of Christ. We should look for the interest of others above ourselves. And then it tells us the doctrinal reason why. 
So it's unusual because usually it's, it's doctrine, then this is what you should do in light of the theological truth. Here it's flipped where you get the duty and then the explanation of the theology. In much the same way, verses 12 and 13 work from a structure standpoint. We're called to work out our salvation because God is working in us. We'll get the theological reason, but first we get the challenge. And I walk that out with you for a moment because it does start with so then or therefore. That's the connecting idea. The big idea here continues to be that we as believers are to have the attitude of Christ. If you're taking notes, the overarching theme of working out your salvation is to have the heart, mind, attitude of Christ in your daily life by putting others before yourself, by being sensitive to how the Holy Spirit would lead you, by living your life as a living sacrifice unto God's glory. Christ did it. He took that ultimate humiliation or demotion, if you will, to become one of us, to die in our stead, to grant us salvation. How can we do any less? We don't give people salvation, but you get the idea. We follow the pattern of Christ. That's the idea. That's the therefore, my beloved. Now, before we move on to the heart of verse 12, I want you to notice that Paul calls the church, my beloved. And any correction that we're going to give to anybody, and this is going to be somewhat corrective, as you'll see in a moment, or at least it's going to be exhortive. It's going to challenge all of us to live out what we're being called to do. We need to understand that we are the beloved of God. If you're a Christian, you would be considered a beloved child of God. Amen? So whenever we're speaking to someone and we're exhorting or we're challenging, we have to understand that if we're challenging another believer, they are a believer loved by God. Amen? So whenever we're challenging someone, we're encouraging, we're exhorting, let's remember that we are loved by God, that God loves us on our worst days. When we need an exhortation, God still considers us the beloved of God. He so loved us that Jesus came, that God the Father sent the Son. And so this is the address. So then, or therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, one key word here is the idea of obedience, not as in my presence only. Remember, Paul founded the church in Philippi, but he was only there for a short time. But now much more, notice it's, it's ramping it up much more in my absence as he writes from a, a Roman imprisonment. And then the call, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think we all have... Uh, maybe something within us where we kind of look busy when the boss comes by. Amen? Yeah, if you work in an office, you know how this works, right? People can be kind of lollygagging around, but when the boss comes in, everybody tries to look productive and busy. In March, we just had March Madness, that great basketball tournament that occurs, and they even have an app for March Madness for you to use at work. You could be watching the game, and if the boss walks by, you can hit a button and something will come up that looks like you're being productive and actually looks like work. Some of you are nodding because you are sinners <laughs> and you've been sinning in your office and you've utilized that app. But look, we're all in the same boat, right? <laughs> but we all have a tendency to want to live the right way when the boss is around. But here's the truth for all of us as believers. The boss lives inside of us. He's always present 
as we live. We live our lives before our Lord. And he is so gracious. Amen? If he weren't, we'd be dust. But he's so patient with us. And he calls us to obedience. That's a key word I want you to mark. It's hupa kauo, or uh, I may have butchered that, but here's the idea. It means to live your life with a submissive ear and a submissive heart. So when we hear the word of God, when something comes into our life, and maybe it's a little challenging or hard, our first uh, reaction should be submission, not fighting against it, not questioning it. We, of course, we want to search our Bibles and search truth, but you get the idea. The first move of a believer should be a, a decision, a passion towards obedience. Don't just try to walk with the Lord when someone's watching. Paul says, I want you to work out your salvation and do it much more as I've been away from you. Work it out. If you're interested in Greek, is a long Greek word, but it means to work fully, to finish. We often talk about finishing well in the Christian life, to perform or to accomplish or to achieve. We do it with fear and trembling. The word literally means to tremble or quake with fear. Some of you might wonder, well, why, why does the Bible say that? Should we be walking around trembling all the time? No, the idea is fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Here's something I want you to consider. The fear that the Bible's talking about is not a fear of judgment. Our sin was judged at the cross. But it's a fear of hurting my father. I don't want to dishonor my father. I don't want to dishonor his name. And I also know that he is holy and he is worthy of my fear because he does discipline his children. And so I also have a kind of a sober assessment of myself. I know how fickle I can be. I know how weak my flesh can be. So each day that I wake up, I have to have a sober kind of take of who I am and the potholes that could, you know, be in the road for that given day. And that's why I need to be clothed with the armor of God and ask for the power of the Spirit and ask the Lord to guide my steps and have my deep desire to honor my Father. I think that's the idea. And so we are to work out our salvation. I want you to notice in verse 12 that we have salvation. It is our salvation. He says, work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He says, work it out. And this is what we're called to do. We are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It is not the result of works. Maybe you had someone come to you. Maybe they're from another religious persuasion. And they said, oh, the Bible says you got to work out your salvation as if it meant that you got to work your way uh, to be saved. You got to just keep it up. What percentage it takes, I don't think they really know. 51% that you're acting like a believer, whatever. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Plus nothing. However, if you read on in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says you're saved unto good works. Good works that God prepared beforehand that you should, remember, walk in them. Emphatically, we are saved by grace, yet we are called to walk out the good works. And this is where there is a cooperative relationship, not in our salvation, 
but in our, what we call, sanctification. Now, that's a big church word, but what that simply means is God is moving in our lives to make us more and more holy, to make us more and more like Christ. Sanctified means to make us more and more set apart. That's sanctification. More and more usable by the master. And as we do that, that's what we're called to work out. We're to work out that salvation or the expression of that salvation as we live our lives. And some of you might be here this morning and you're thinking, it ain't working out. I ain't working it out. I'm not doing a very good job of any of this right now. And look, we, we look around the Christian world right now. We can look around maybe relationships that we know, people that, uh, you know, some of you have stories of people who led you to the Lord and they're no longer walking with the Lord. And you're like, well, what is going on with that? What does that say about our faith or about us? Well, something I want you to know right here is you're saved by grace through faith. However, you have a part to play. You are to work out what God is working in. Please hear what I'm about to say. If you have a passive response to the things of the Spirit, you will always get a passive result. If you respond passively to your faith, for example, we just had Resurrection Sunday morning, and I will tell you that every year we hold Resurrection Sunday morning services, that we will have at least an extra 100 or 200 people on that Sunday. Now, here's the question as a pastor I think about. Where are they on the rest of the Sundays? Well, they're not here. <laughs> I can tell you that. Now, why is it that we can culturally somehow think that we can show up on Christmas and Easter and we're good with God? What does that say about us? Now, of course, we're all at different spots, and sometimes someone comes to a Resurrection Sunday service for the 10th time that this is their annual occurrence, and the, the Lord touches them. So we never want to dissuade any of that. But if we passively respond to our prayer lives, sharing our faith, reading our Bibles, worshiping, spending time with other believers in study, a passive response to the things of God will make you a passive Christian will give you passive results. That's why there are believers all at different ends of the spectrum or on the continuum. Now, certainly, when you get, first get saved, you can think of like a child's life when you're first born. You know, there's only so much that is expected of you, but as you grow and mature, of course you're going to mature and digest differently and act differently. That's all a given. But let's just assume for a moment that we have a good number of experienced believers in the room. What's the difference between believer A and believer B? I would argue that it's all about discipline and effort on the sanctification side. Everybody with me? Not on the salvation side, but how productive you are as a believer, how effective you are as a believer is how much you are working out what God is working in. Amen? It's just that simple. And that's the truth of the matter. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, God is working in us, and Walter Martin put it this way, that good works complete the testimony of faith by witnessing to the fact of that faith's existence. They serve to justify us before men who cannot see the grace or the faith that has already justified us before God, close quote. So this is what good works do. They testify to the watching world who can't see what's happened in our heart. They can only see the way we live, the way we talk, 
our behavior. So here's the good news. The challenge in verse 12, here's the reality theologically. For it is God, verse 13, who is at work in you. Brethren, take heart. God is working. Amen? God is at work in you right now. Now, we go through seasons where maybe you're a little bit more dry or a little less passion. I regularly pray, Lord, baptize me afresh with boldness. Clothe me with the Lord Jesus Christ. Renew my passion. I have to pray stuff like that all the time. But here's what I know. God is at work in my life. And he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In the very first chapter, we studied this verse. He who began a good work in you, it's a good work, will complete it till the day of Christ. Amen? God began a good work. God is good. He began a good work in you, and he has a good purpose that he's doing in your life. So if the enemy's been speaking to you the opposite of that lately, if you've been thinking that, well, maybe these things are not good, or you've been getting negativity, or the enemy's been assaulting you, uh, uh, like, you know, your Christian life is fruitless, you know, this, this or that, don't listen to that junk. God is good. He is doing a good work in you, and he will, he's doing it for a good purpose. Amen? This is what we need to remember. God is at work. The word work there is uh, a word energeo in Greek where we get the English word energy. God is supplying the power. What's he after? What is he trying to do in my life? Look at the end of verse 13. He is working in our will to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you have an NIV, it says his good purpose. God is working right in your will. And that's right where he needs to be working because that's the issue. There's an old saying in the church. It's all about the willingness to be willing. Isaiah saw that great vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord, the King. And when the Lord asked the question, who will I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. He had already admitted that he was a man of unclean lips, that he lived among a people of unclean lips, but still he raised his hand. God works in the will. Do you know when you're starting to make progress as a Christian, when your prayers become this way? Not my will, but yours be done. Instead of a laundry list of 27 things, I like this, I like that, I'd like you to do this, I'd like you to do it within the next 15 minutes, uh, that would be nice. I'd like you to do this, that, this, that. If you're starting to pray, Lord, if my prayer is off, I want you to search my heart and shift my will to your will. That's when you know you're growing. Even if you have to gulp after you've prayed it. And Lord, one more thing. Not my will, but yours be done. Amen? That's when you know that you are growing. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want it. I don't want to drink it. Nevertheless, not my will, but Yours be done. Have this mind in you. Are you with me? 
which was also in Christ Jesus. This is what God is doing. He works on the heart level, in the area of my will. That's, what, that's why it's so painful sometimes as a believer. Because the sanctifying process confronts me with how often my will is so far removed from God's will. How consumed I can be with the flesh or the immediate things instead of the will of God and the kingdom of God. God is at work in my will to will and to work for what? For his good purpose. Let me just show you one passage, 2 Peter, towards the back of the New Testament that walks this out a little bit and gives us the proper order. So Peter, who had, of course, his share of failures and victories, 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll try to put it up on the screen here if you are not able to turn there. He talks about grace and peace being multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, 2 Peter 1, 3. Seeing that his divine power, there's that power, has granted to us how much? Everything pertaining to life and godliness or God, godly living, living like Christ, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Look at this in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. The Spirit lives in us. We have, been, we have experienced being born again, etc. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now look at our part. That's all God's part. We're partakers. We have everything we need. Now for this very reason also, verse 5, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Amen? God is working. He's saved you if you're a believer. He's called you. He's got good works, but now you got to work out what he's working in you. You are to walk out the good works. Paul, in the book of Romans, turn back to Philippians, says these words. He says, not that I presume to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, Romans 15, 18, and 19. Here's my point. We're going to look back one day on what the Lord has done in and through our lives, and we'll give him all the glory. If we're going to boast in anything, we'll boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Yet, at the same time, Paul would say, I worked harder than all of them. And he's talking about the apostles. Uh, yet not I, but Christ in me. Here's the point. You have a part to play. 
And it's, and it's not about us just sitting around waiting for something to happen. We're actually called to be active, to be disciples, because God is working and we're to walk it out. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Michael, what does it look like when we walk this kind of stuff out? Like, what would be some of the things that would be seen in us as we work out what God is working in? Oh, buckle up. Verse 14. Do all things, some translations say some things. It's only because people crossed out all and put some in there. That's Second Opinions chapter, and never mind. There's no loopholes here. It says, do all things without grumbling. NIV has complaining or disputing. NIV has arguing. If you want to know what a life looks like where the will of God is triumphant or dominant, it will start to come out in less, I said less complaining because I think you guys can't take the fact that it should be no complaining. But actually, that's what the verse says. But I have some hope for you. So in Exodus 23, we studied on Wednesday night, the message was called the angel of the Exodus. Many scholars believe it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus leading the Israelites through the wilderness. And he says, when you go into the promised land, you're not going to conquer everything immediately, but you'll conquer the peoples in the land of Canaan, the promised land. Listen to this. Little by little. And I would say that that's a good word for a lot of us to find some encouragement. That for most of us, sanctification happens little by little. Now, some of you are the exception. You got saved, and your testimony is, on the night I got saved, I quit smoking, I quit drinking, I quit, quit chewing, I don't curse anymore. And all of us can say, so what? Yeah, <laughs> number now, there, there are those incredible miracle stories. But for most of us, sanctification will happen little by little. So I want to give you some hope. If I say to you, your challenge this week is not to complain for the whole week. Some of you are going to tune me out. Oh, that's just not possible. That's not a reasonable. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> All right. I feel you. How about this? And I think some people around you might appreciate this. How about if you complained less? Hmm? Now, my wife and I had a chance to get away. Uh, we did a one night and got away, and uh, it was a wonderful time. We were down near the coast, and uh, we woke up fairly early, and I went out. I got a recommendation from one of the hotel workers and went out to this place to order some food for us. I was on very limited coffee. It was all new to me, so I went up to this order window, and I was going to order a very healthy breakfast burrito, a couple of coffees. Down by the beach, that's $47 just for that, right? So I, I was in the process of trying to get familiar with the, uh, the menu. And the lady was on the other side. She had a mask on, which made it a little less personal, but that's irrelevant. But she basically threw me through the grinder. So what would you like, sir? Breakfast burrito? Which kind, sir? Well, how many kinds do you have? The menu's over there, sir. Oh, uh, I'd like uh, one with eggs and... We have this, sir. You want to add bacon to that one, sir? Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> that'd be good. I mean, what else do you want, sir? I don't, uh, basically, implicit in the order taking, I happen to be a customer at this establishment, 
uh, was, you're wasting my time, you bug me, get out of here. And in the flesh, that's precisely what I wanted to do. Something like this. You know what, lady? <laughs> you got an attitude problem. I'm about to, I've never done this before, but I'm going on Yelp right now. And I'm going to give you a negative two and a half star review. What's your problem? Why the attitude? What's going on? And it was all on the inside. But what came out is after I got my food, <laughs> I just said, have a nice day. And I just went off. But then as I was going back, I began to revisit the conversation. Her problem, I'm going out to the beach for one night, trying to get a little rest from ministry in difficult situations. Burrito, what burrito do you want? I named two, which one do you want? So I did that, got back to our place, and the first temptation I had was to share it with my lovely wife. You, some of you are right with me, you won't believe what happened. I went to the window, just tried to order a burrito. The lady's grilling me. And, and I wanted to do it, and I wanted to tell her because I wanted her to share in my misery. I wanted her to grumble and complain right along with me because there's beauty in a multitude of complainers. Maybe not. And I knew I was preaching on this text how inconvenient. <laughs> and so about three different times, honey, you didn't even know this. I tried, I was about to say, and you know what? When I ordered the food and the lady, and I didn't do it. And it was so difficult. <laughs> but the breakfast burrito was the bomb. It was really good. Anyway, so I'm glad I ordered it. What's my point? I have no idea. No. <laughs> Simply this, it's not only our complaining, it's that we complain about situations to others. And here's the reason this is important. This is what Israel did and got themselves in trouble with God. In fact, the root idea, the verse behind this is an Old Testament Exodus verse where Israel was constantly complaining about God. We want, we're sick of the manna, where's our water, where's this, where's that? They had been delivered out of slavery by God's powerful hand, but they complained. And I will tell you that complaining is pretty much what the world's about. When things aren't going perfect for people in the world, that's what they do. Romans chapter 1 says the unbelieving world is unthankful towards God. They, spend their, they don't think about him, but then they complain when something goes wrong in their life. And that's not how it should be with you, my brethren. So if you want to know what it means to work out your salvation in the text, in the flow, here's number one. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, at, behind this in chapter four, we're going to find out that two women in the Philippian church are at odds with one another. They've been arguing. Two women that helped Paul greatly in the gospel ministry. And Paul's worried about the situation. He says, I want you to tell them to be in harmony in the Lord. This is not just about the world and, you know, a, a rude person at a business. This is about us. And here's the convicting part. How much of your Christian life do you spend complaining about other believers? And what fruit does that ever accomplish? None. That's what the enemy does. He's constantly, you know, assaulting us before the Father. 
convicting us and so forth, accusing us. We don't need it. And so I would encourage you to take the P214 challenge. You know what the P214 challenge is? So we have a group of brothers here who are golfers in the church, or I use that word loosely. <laughs> and so we had taught on this some years back, and we we're playing golf together. And one of the, the guys in our group, you know, the golf course is filled with uh, guttural noises. Uh, they're not, they don't even sound human. And a lot of people who hit golf balls and then they get into ancestry and they, they talk uh, not so great about God and so forth. And it's a constant. Hit a golf ball. Oh. Hit a golf ball. Oh. Right? There's some golfers, you don't even know why they go there because they're so bad, it's every shot. And so I hit a shot that did not go where I wanted it to go and I did a little muttering. <laughs> and one of our congregants in the group with Pastor Michael said, P214. And I was like, don't be quoting Bible verses to me now. <laughs> Say what, Pastor Michael? The P214 challenge, right? So we were playing golf with, uh, there's two of us from the church and two guys that we connected with. And uh, we had played about four or five holes. And I will just tell you that after playing golf with these gentlemen, I felt like I needed to be rebaptized. <laughs> there was uh, God's name, you know, ancestry, you name it. It was, it was like my ears were, I haven't heard that kind of language in a long time. So we sat down and we were waiting at one of the holes to tee off. And we had asked them earlier what they did for a living. And now they turned to me with a down moment and said, oh, by the way, what do you do for a living? And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm the, one of the pastors at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Christ. Oh, Oh, you wouldn't believe the facial expression and things that changed and morphed. Oh, I said, you may kiss my ring and I will bring some water for absolution for what you've done in these first four holes. And if I throw it on you, I'm sure it'll burn, it'll burn. Anyway, never mind. And so, but here's what was funny about that. They began to tell me what church they went to. And I was like, you guys go to Living Truth Christian Fellowship? I mean, no, never mind. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Living Truth. But here's the point. They weren't behaving very well. But as soon as they found out that there was a pastor in the group, it's like, <gasps> but here's the bigger issue. It, it's almost irrelevant that I was there. It's just that they felt like they could live that way and apparently didn't even think twice about it. So, one, we need to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Uh, we'll go with the little by little hopeful verse in Exodus and say, Lord, help us to improve this week. Because I think for most of you, trying to go a whole week without grumbling or complaining is going to be very difficult. But it's doable if Christ Jesus has the throne of your heart. Amen? Secondly, look at verse 15. We'll move quickly. That you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. The idea of innocent is pure there. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now, there's the idea of proving this out. Prove yourselves as to your identity. Be blameless, innocent, 
The idea of the language is to walk straight, to walk, have straight paths for your feet, to be innocent, try to be unstained from this world, and to live above reproach. Uh, second application for those of you who are taking notes is just to walk in purity and to walk straight. When you do those two things, if you walk in purity and your paths are straight for your feet, you will be a contradiction to this world. You will be, I'll put it this way, you'll be the opposite of this world. So some of you heard that thousands of people went up to Sacramento to battle against AB, uh, was it 2223? And Jack Hibbs went up there. There were thousands of people up there. Uh, one one uh, guard said more people he's seen than ever before in Sacramento to uh, argue against the bill. What was the bill? Well, it's basically legalizing infanticide in California. And you need to know what's going on here is that this is a response to the heartbeat bill in Texas and some other states passing laws to try to you know, squash Roe v. Wade or really minimize abortion. And so California responded by their own law. Here's what the law says. It's written, you know, you may have heard different things about it, but here's how it's written. If a woman has a child born outside the womb, of course, and that child dies, there could be no in investigation into the cause of death within 28 days after birth or one month. This would include a botched abortion. Let's say that there was an abortion attempt and the baby didn't die. Do you know that Jack Hibbs served as a expert witness in Sacramento and he survived a botched abortion? Did you know that? So let's say that the abortion didn't work and the doctor decided, ask the mom, do you want the baby to die? Yeah, and he kills the baby. There will be no, no legal, not a coroner cannot even be involved. This is what this bill says. And let's say within the 28 days of the first month of that child's life that a parent took the baby and shook the baby and the baby died. Again, it's just so open-ended that you, you don't know uh, there, could, there would be no investigation. And so this is a no-brainer, is it not? You have to ask the question, why, why, this, why this kind of bill? So thousands of people coming up. Uh, I strongly oppose, even an atheist got up there and said, I strongly oppose this bill. It passed 11 to 3 in the health committee. You say, how is that possible? Because those people had already made up their minds. We live in a crooked and perverse generation. And we annoy them at times because we, we show up to places like that and we battle against ungodly bills and they don't like it. And they don't like our voices. And here's the idea. The word crooked is where we get the English word scoliosis. Scoliosis is a curvature of the spine. It is correctable by a surgery, but it's a difficult situation. The world has spiritual scoliosis. And our job is to live straight so that we shine as lights in this world. Amen? It's how we work out our salvation we walk in purity. We walk straight paths, not just to look down on other people, but because that's our God, because that's the best way to live. That's where beauty and depth is found. And the, and the third thing, if you're taking notes, which will be another way we work out our salvation is we'll shine as lights in the world. Jesus told us to let our light shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. 
So this is the way we work out our salvation. We do it by not complaining like Israel of old did. We do it by walking straight paths and in purity. We walk it by being lights, uh, walking as lights in the world. But there's something else, and it's the final verse. And it's this. We hold forth the gospel to a lost world. The only way that the world can be healed of spiritual scoliosis is by the great physician. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's the work he did in my life. I was living a crooked existence. The, The way of the world was my way. And the great physician did a healing work in my life, and he's straightening me out. (laughs) And it's a process, no doubt. But we hold forth the gospel. Look at verse 16. It says, as we hold firmly to the word of life, that's a new living, and as you hold out the word of life, the the Greek word kind of allows for, for both, and I think both are important. We hold fast the word of life. We hold it firmly. We hold up the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sin, and we hold it out to people with spiritual scoliosis. And this is one main way we work out our salvation is we put it forth to other people. Amen? We put forth the gospel that straightens people out and gives them hope because they're dead in their sins and trespasses. The gospel is called the word of life because it produces life in dead people. It transforms us. We move from death to life, from the power of Satan to God. And then Paul says so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. That is, when I came into Philippi, I know that you have fought the good fight, finished the race, and in the day of Christ, and he'll say this later in the book, you're going to be my crown, and the Lord's going to be honored in how we lived our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for some time together to think about, study, contemplate the Word of God. You know, if we were to conclude this, we would say some things like, we know we're loved of God, we're the beloved. We know that you're working in us, Lord. We know that we're supposed to work out what you're working in. And would you help us, Father, to not be complainers, Would you help us, Father, to walk in purity and make straight paths for our feet? Would you help us to be lights in our world? Would you help us to hold forth the gospel to our world that so desperately needs it? Would you help us work out what you're working in? Would you forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've, well, given a half-hearted effort at best? Would you help us to get a little bit more serious about our faith as we wake up on a Monday morning and seek you first and get into our Bibles and worship and ask for divine appointments? Lord, we know what it looks like. Help us, Father. Refresh us in the Holy Spirit. Strengthen us so that we can please you and work out what you're working in us. Would you keep your heart and head bowed? Maybe you need to do a little business before your Father right now, before your Lord. Maybe the first category would be a person who's never met Jesus, and you've been trying to be religious, trying to be moral, but without the energy, without the power of God. Ask Jesus to save you right now. Believe in the gospel. Believe in 
the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tell him, Lord, I repent of my sin. And I receive what you did for me on that cross. Please save me. Make me your child. Maybe you're a backslidden Christian, second category, and you have been on a windy road. You've been complaining. Things have been crooked and upside down. You don't look like a Christian. You don't act like a Christian. And you just know, Lord, this is a divine appointment. This is what I need. I need to get back to where I'm supposed to be. I want to work out what you're working in me, Lord. He'll hear your prayer. If you're, if you're a prodigal right now, if you just have backslidden, he will heal your backslidings, but you got to make a decision to come back. Maybe you're a, a strong believer today. Maybe you're walking as strong as you ever have. Then I would just say continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't assume that everything's good. Just live a wise life. Lord, for this beautiful, wonderful congregation that gives so much and loves you, I just pray that you would encourage their hearts. Bless them. Draw them close to you. As we close in worship, Father, may you be glorified. May you extend your hand to transform, to heal, to uh, do the work that only you can do among us. We lay this time at your feet. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.